and we're good to go. Is that good enough? Yeah, that's good enough. And I think just like that, we're we're into the podcast because we don't have a lot of time. What's the deal with games for the week of? I don't know. What is September the twenty fourth? Be with you. Twenty fourth. But you know, we could also we're gonna probably do a little bit of this episode now, a little bit later. uh, Inside baseball, because I think that for the listeners, we don't call them viewers. It's gonna be seamless. Uh, yeah, maybe we'll see. See, the, this is the this is the uh, the amazing thing about letting them in too is because now if it, the podcast just ends, then they're like, wait, wait, hold on, I thought there was more. Um, yeah, we'll we'll see what tomorrow looks like. I guess I know that there's uh, some exciting things going on this week. Uh, we we originally had thought about recording a little bit later because uh, tomorrow Valkyria Chronicles comes out. Yes, and on Wednesday we're getting together for some board games, yeah, including a Yellow and Yangtze, whatever that is. Terrible name. It I don't is. Know. What does that even mean? What it's is, the two. What it's is the Yellow, Yellow and Yangtze, Yangtze rivers. Oh, so similar to Tigris and Euphrates. Uh, Tigris and Euphrates. The legendary. So you you have to have heard of that, right? The game, yeah, yeah. But I know nothing about it, nor do uh, I know anything. About yellow and Yangtze. Okay, that's really good. But we will save that for possibly later in the episode, and maybe not at all. Yeah, I would like to like just touch on it, not as like uh, this is how it is, but uh, having read the rules, like I have so much excitement in me for that game. What makes yellow and Yangtze different from all the other games about rivers? That's, you know, that's a difficult question because many games are about rivers, but this can, this game is about two rivers, first of all. And I know we were saying so Tigris and Euphrates, Tigris and Euphrates is two rivers. Don't. How could this be better? So this is the update to Reiner Knizia's Tigris and Euphrates, like long thought of as one of the best board games of all time. I think it's like, it's up there. What is it even on BGG? I usually have that knowledge right off. It should be in the top 10 or something like that. I don't know. But um, who knows? Those guys have no idea what's going on. They don't. But Am I right. They don't. But uh, so it, I kind of look at it like uh, the Gaia project to Terra Mystica, to Tyrus and Frady's Terra Mystica. So here is like a a game that is like a that they took a masterpiece that is lauded. Like years and years past its time, I think Tigers and Euphrates came out in the in like the late '90s, and it's like basically 20 years old. So here's this update, and it's not just about the uh, the looking better and the pieces, which are looking better, and the pieces are nicer, but it's about some slight gameplay tweaks. Um, and I think that those tweaks should add a lot. I'm very excited to see how this plays. What makes it differently, or what it even is, is that it's this board. Uh, so nothing there. Hexagonal, uh, board, uh, and it is like a tile laying game. It is like a tile laying game. And, uh, it starts out with all these basically like the beginnings of settlements. And as you're playing, you're drawing tiles from a bag and those tiles have colors that represent different points you could possibly make. And basically you're scoring five different points four of them are you know important to win and one of them the yellow point is a wild card point that can be spent anywhere um but the main kind of draw the immediate thing that kind of could make you gasp is that over the course of the game you may let's say get 10 black points eight red points 
eight blue points, and maybe you've got three blue, three green points. Oh no! And like one yellow point. So that would mean you put your yellow point on the last thing, and all of those points don't matter because the only one that matters is the lowest one, and that's it. Okay. That's your score. Your score isn't. Oh well, yeah, I got four green points, but look at how good I did with black points. I got ten of those. Your score is just four. That's it. So, and I'm sure that it's cool, but I mean, the initial fear that someone might have hearing that is that everybody's strategies have to end up being, you know, similar because everybody has to score all of these different points, as opposed to like you know going for your one strategy. But well, I guess just, we'll see how the, it works. That's in, a that's like a fair criticism i guess but it's not exactly like that because the actual gameplay has a lot of depth in it and that's what makes it so so, so exciting um well i guess we'll see the the one thing that the the other thing that i would say that is from reading the rule back rule book that just pops off the page of like oh my god i cannot wait to see these kind of things happen is that uh so you're building these these cities and with the, throughout building these tiles and no one exists anywhere on the board you can be anywhere you want to be um so you you and other players can be building in the same city and earning different points for that city and building the city up and making it better but people can revolt against you uh but the big thing and the thing that got me so excited is that if the cities are to ever be joined on the board then this thing happens where, like, there you can never have multiple of the same type of leader in a city. So, like, just to make any sense of that is like, oh, I've got my green yeah, leader in this I'm, one city. I'm a little lost here. So, to to make sense of that and break that down, it could be like I've got my green leader in this one city that's building up, and this other person has their green leader in this different city that's building up. So those could never coexist, and they don't right now. But if a tile ever joins those cities, then you have an issue, and that's when a fight would happen. Uh, so you basically, like, I'm not going to explain how the, the fights work out, but the thing that popped off the page for me is that going around the table, every single person, regardless of whether or not they have anyone, any, like, tiles or leaders involved in the conflict, can bid on the conflict and like add strength to the war because may for for tons of different reasons sure. maybe so how many people does this see um i think one i think two to four two to five right. two to five sorry so so i just that that just pops off the page to me of like this almost like twilight imperium-esque thing of like suddenly a war breaks out and people who aren't involved are like playing the game and getting like nasty and like voting for this one city to win and uh either because you know one of the players it's way too far ahead will be hurt by this or because maybe they're interested in certain things like having a city be like completely crumpled so then they can put in their own yeah. leaders and establish a presence in a city that has built too big and gotten or this king making well there's definitely king making right um how could there not be uh i think everyone's uh, the, the whole the, one of the cool things is with the different types of points in the game no one is doing 
it, like as bad as you could you said like oh everyone's just gonna be doing the same different things because they have to do every single thing but one of the most interesting things is that you first of all have no idea how many points people are making you can try and track them but the points are behind a a cover so they won't necessarily have a great idea of where your hard limit of where your points are. That's interesting. And then the other thing is that since the different colors relate to kind of different things, uh, no one will be doing the same thing all the time or wanting the same thing all the time. So you won't always want to be like like if it's like king making like like I want this one side to win because they're they're lower. Um, that's not always something that like getting involved with conflicts is something you might not always want at a time, nor would you be able to sustain. And yeah, like, well, let's, let's save, let's save some of this for when we actually play it too. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it's, too ahead of ourselves. It, it's, it's, it is cool to read a, 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 a rules manual and then sometimes just see things like Twilight Imperium's, uh, promissory notes or the way that wars work in Yellow and Yangtze. And just read over that kind of thing and just be like blown away. I I remember being a kid and like, you know, on the way home from like uh, GameStop or whatever, reading the manuals to the games is always pretty exciting. It's exactly uh, like that. Something that we don't get anymore. Well, we do now. Right? We do now. And and maybe it's just because I see all this coverage of everything before I even get to it. And, you know, when I was a kid, I didn't really... I would maybe read like a review online, but now I don't do anything without researching because games are expensive and now I'm spending my own money. So I know everything about a game before I buy it, except for indie games. And that's that's the cool thing about cheaper games is that I don't do as much research about them so that when I get to them, I end up sometimes being surprised. And that's pretty cool because a game released this week that's been in development for seven years. That's a long time. Sometimes it's a bad thing, but continue. It is a bad thing sometimes, but not in this case. So the game that I've been playing is called CrossCode. Have you you heard about this game? From you and nowhere else yet. It's on Steam's bestsellers, but I haven't really had a chance to look deeply into it. It is 95% positive reviews with uh, 2,900 reviews. So pretty good. (laughs) But what do Uh, they know? And, but what do they know, right? Uh, but essentially what it is, is it is a top-down uh, sort of action RPG, not like Path of Exile, but instead more like uh, Zelda, if you'd call Zelda an action RPG. And But essentially what it is, is you are this uh, avatar who has been put into this MMO, and someone is controlling you, but it's unclear essentially this person has lost their memory and through exploring this mmo they hope to regain their memory so it's a lot of tropes rolled into one another trope it is is that the protagonist is silent and essentially what happened is your your voice broke like the module for your voice broke and the person who's helping you on the other side or supporting you is slowly adding new words to your like uh to your to your dialogue lexicon? so at the first the only yeah your lexicon so at the first the only thing you could say is hi and then you learn to say your name leia and then you learn to say bye and that's as far as i've gotten in terms of uh leia's lexicon 
But the actual game, like the idea of this is so cool. And it's something that, you know, is explored in anime, but it's not explored in a lot of games. But Which is weird really because like, it's a, a trope in anime that derives from games. Yeah, but, but I like the idea because there's sort of two narratives going on at the same time. There's the narrative of what your character is doing in the MMO. And then there's the narrative of who are you and like what made you like how did you come here like what happened in your memory but it's pretty cool because you also like you are like a class in this mmo like you are a spheromancer and people like call you out and talk about like oh a spheromancer that class used to be way more popular but not a lot of people play it because it's complicated and other players join your party and those players have their own moveset and different abilities that are, you know, unique to their class. And as you level up, there's a sort of path of exile skill tree where you're allocating different points to different things, whether you want to focus on like uh, your health or your damage through range attacks, your damage through uh, melee attacks, and then you can unlock different types of abilities. Uh, so it's pretty neat. Um, well, I got to stop you right there and do do some masoning. Um, it's all great that there's a path of exile skill tree, but I don't really understand what this game is. Like, what does it play like? It's like Legend of Zelda, like I said. So it's essentially a top-down action RPG where you're fighting monsters, and it plays also in ways like an MMO, where you'll get quests to explore this area, kill this many monsters, and sometimes you'll, like, kill a set of monsters in an area, and a secret will unlock, and then, like, a boss monster will come out, and you kill him, and he might drop like a rare crafting material as one as you know might happen in an MMO. And then you can like do trading and stuff like that to get different materials and craft gear. Uh, so yeah, it is sort of this weird cross between a single player MMO and like a Zelda style game with tons of puzzle solving, tons of like dungeons and it's pretty cool. Uh, so far, I'm five hours into the game, and uh, I'm just leaving the beginner area. Uh, they advertise it as being, you know, like 60 to 80 hours of gameplay. But I actually feel like I, I like the game so much so far. The music is great. The art is great. That I feel like this is the first time where I've started one of these games and actually thought to myself, you know, I could probably play through this whole thing. But I guess we'll see how I feel in 10 hours. Yeah. Um, I'd like to follow up question, like, is, you say it's like Zelda, but it's not like, it's not like Hyper Light Drifter or something like that, where you're more mobile and like action-y. Is it more it really? Is. It is like it that? It is, yeah. You're super mobile. Okay. Yeah, you're so really, it's, so really it's, mobile. it's not really like, like, Zelda makes me think of something else of like, it being more about puzzling and this it's, seems. It's a lot about puzzling. It's more about puzzling than you think. Okay. It is a game with lots of mobility and lots of puzzle solving. Okay, that does sound intriguing. I would. I, that Take sounds like the kind of game I would love on a Switch. Uh, unfortunately, I don't know if this game will come to Switch because they built it entirely in HTML5. Okay, well there you go. For for better or worse, but hey, it runs pretty smooth. Uh, works great with a controller, but I think that this will only be on PC for a while. Okay. But hey, maybe it sells really well and they uh, end up porting it. But I do urge you just like take a look at the take a look at some screenshots. 
like watch some gameplay videos because I think that it might surprise you. It's very slick. And uh, the soundtrack is great, too. That sounds good. You know, I've been playing a lot of two other games this week, and I've been thinking a lot about them, too. And those are Destiny 2 and Path of Exile. I have also been playing those games. So let's talk a little bit about Path of Exile. Uh, Because I'm at the point in the Path of Exile League where the correct thing to do for me now is, first off, I just blew all my money upgrading my gear. So I spent like, um, I, I guess around like four or five Exalted, just like upgrading my gear. And my gear is in a pretty good spot. And and I'm at the point where any upgrade that I need is going to be like, you know, six exalted orbs a piece. And I'm also at the part where I'm either I have to start crafting for myself. And in terms of like progression through the game, I, I need to start buying maps. And it's the part that and I'm not there yet. I have a good map pool. I have stuff that I need to do, but I know that it's coming where I won't be able to progress until I buy maps. And this is something that I wanted to talk about this week. And it's a, it's a thing that I've been thinking about in Destiny, and it's a thing that I've been thinking about in Path of Exile. And it is in these open world sandbox games where you have like a sort of a bunch of different options laid out in front of you of ways that you could progress in the game. One of the things that I've been thinking about is optimal pathing through these sandbox games. So what I mean to say is in Destiny, there's like a series of things that you can do that are going to give you your powerful items, right? So essentially, uh, there's PvP activities that you need to do. Uh, There's like Gambit activities and Crucible activities and all this fun stuff. But some of the stuff on the optimal path is not very fun. And this is a problem that I have in both Path of Exile and in Destiny, where there's some really cool stuff and there's stuff that I want to do in Path of Exile. I really want to kill monsters. So most of the game, pretty good, pretty yeah, smooth. Pretty much but the once game. Once I for get it. to the point of like having to trade maps and having to like reach out to like five people in a row trying to get the same map, it, it irks me, you know, and I don't have to do that. Instead, I could just grind it out. I could just continue with the map pool that I currently have and hope that it'll drop from me. Or I could do the less fun thing that is is a better uh, time to reward ratio. Could it be, and let me stop uh, stop me if you're if I'm completely wrong, that maybe your biggest argument is just that there, the multiple ways that you can progress through the game uh, give it a sandboxy feel, but as you go up, you your your progression becomes narrower and narrower to the point where like old things that were working for you to move forward with the game uh, become like less important, and then it starts to take on like a new like this is what I have to do, and it's much more regimented and less sandbox, like um. Like, I mean, Destiny is just works like other MMOs, and I could imagine this being a huge problem with a lot of people where 
you are leveling and you're, you know, you don't really requ require anyone for that and you're getting geared and right after you finish leveling, the getting the gear is fast and everything you're doing is helping you. But then eventually you're going to get to a point where to progress further, like it's not all these different activities that's going to get you there. You have to go do a raid or something like that. And it's is it's kind of similar in path where you do everything yeah. you want and you're just running around and you're just doing the next thing that they're telling you. And you're all you're, you're in the story. You're progressing the story, doing the lead mechanics, doing all the stuff you get out of that. You're doing maps. And then suddenly the 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 multiple ways that you're progressing start to become more regimented. And then now there's a new thing showing its face of like, well, now there's, you know, map trading because instead of just maps falling down wherever you want them, you need to get specific maps, which are rare. And now you, the only way to get them is going to be able to get the money to, sp to spend for someone else. And that's just not what you were doing. And now you're just getting it. It's becoming tighter and tighter what you have to do. And, and specifically in Destiny, the place where I'm running into this is I want to play Gambit. And that's what I want to do. But if I keep playing Gambit, that's not the optimal way to get stuff because I have to do everything. And specifically, uh, if I want to play Gambit, I should get a Sleeper Simulant. Sleeper Simulant, really powerful exotic in Destiny 2 that came out in the last expansion. So essentially, I'm doing this old mission and it's, it is a weird mission where it's just like, go to Mars and get headshots on Cabal on Mars. And I don't have anything else to do there. All that I have to do on Mars, I did all the adventures, I unlocked the heroics, is shoot the Cabal on Mars. And that's what I did. I did it for hours because that was the way to get the item I needed. There was no other way to get it except for shooting the Cabal on Mars. And I was shooting the Cabal on Mars because I want the Sleeper Simulant, because I want to take it to Gambit, because that's what I want to do. Sure. I mean, there is, like, like I try in my best to compound that with other activities. Like, you could pick up the the bounties on Mars. You could do um, the heroic, uh, what do you call it? What's, what's I'm called? It? Heroic Adventure. No, not that. Um, the like activity. Yeah, stuff like that. Why can't which I think? Is only, which is only, um, which is only high public events. Why can't I? Why couldn't I think of the name? The public events. Yeah, like just do public events and stuff like that while you're doing that. You know, yeah. grabbing uh, the that materials, that plant yeah, material I, and stuff like that. And another problem that I run into with Destiny, and this is something that I've spoken about in the past, but Iron Banner was this week. And there are some very long and grindy Iron Banner missions. They're they're where impossible almost for me. I work I it, for for longtime listeners will know that I work Friday, Saturday, Sunday, ten to eleven. I don't really have time. I don't have weekends. So like I I gr totally ab abhor the like it's the weekend. It's uh we're we're coming out with like a game beta or it's a big event in something and it's like well I can't really take part in that it's like it i well, iron banner does go throughout the week um but the iron banner bounties like kind of ask a lot of you just 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 necessarily just doing it a lot and i mean people yeah. there's plenty of people who will obviously line up to do that and are glad to have something to do but for some people it's like kind of restrictive because i yeah and, and 
And yeah, totally. I I, gr- I grinded it out in one day. Like I got down like almost all the missions, but I think that I was doing it for like a fear of missing out. The FOMO. On getting those items. Because there's some cool Iron Banner gear. Like it looks pretty neat. But at the same time, I don't know that that's what I wanted to be doing. I wanted to be playing Gambit. But man, <laughs> I, 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 I kick at, I am really good at, at Crucible pretty good at that game so it was kind of cool to go in there my light level is pretty low so that was like the other thing is like this iron banner is light scaled so if you're a low level you're gonna feel it but it wasn't so bad i i kicked some ass yeah that's the purpose for iron banner and i guess at the very least you can have a good uh like thought to yourself like well if i'm performing this well with light levels uh and that adjust like the damage adjustment and how much weaker I am compared to my opponents, then I'm getting good practice for being like super good when that's turned off. Your 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 Goku in the hyperbolic time chamber or on with yeah. the hypergravity. And I got a I got a exotic drop today, but it was a year one drop. It was the Graviton Lance. Which is interesting because I think that the helmet I have is also called Graviton something. Graviton forfeit. Yeah, so I've got the Graviton forfeit and the Graviton lance. Oh, that thing is amazing, though. The, are you talking about the pulse rifle that like has the extra strong force shot and it explodes uh, on headshot? Because that yes. thing is that thing is pretty dope. They completely reworked yeah. that. I'm also thinking that you know one of the things I want to be doing in Destiny is uh, the Crucible missions to get the unique items the season unique items. So there's a pulse rifle. And then I think that there's a hand cannon mission. I'm not sure. I mean, you can't say that destiny doesn't give you stuff to do now. There's definitely stuff to do, but at the same time, I feel like there is an optimal path. Yeah. I mean, some of that you have to just chalk up to games like games, uh, obviously, especially when there's other people playing them become about optimization. And that's unfortunate because We've talked before about how that can sometimes lose the magic when you want to do something, but you know, like the optimal thing you should be doing right now is like grinding something out. And it's not that you'd rather be doing something more fun, but you feel like you got it. Your time would be wasted if you weren't doing that important thing. And that's unfortunate. Like, I, Yeah, it's like I want to play Gambit, but if I get the sleeper simulant, then I can Gambit play harder. Gambit harder. Oh, we both said at the same time. And that's what it's about, right? Like, you want to get in there, and you want to make people upset with your sleeper simulant. That's what Destiny should be about, making people upset. I know that Bungie thinks that. They certainly think that Destiny should be about making people upset. Why do you say? Because <laughs> it's, it's Bungie. They just, they, they, they're the kings, of, the kings and queens of making their player base upset. I think they've been doing well. Yeah, they're, I mean, like, I, I, we, we've said before, especially with this, with, with Forsaken, like, they they did a real they did a real true mea culpa in a way that they haven't done in a long time and they reworked everything from the ground up and really made the game that it should have been which is good but it was still you know destiny 2 was still like really problematic for a year and that was off the choices they made to screw up and then there was all those controversies where they lied about things in the game like different systems in the game, different like time gating and stuff like that. And they're, but I mean, you're in, right? They're, you're, they're you're on, get, are, did you get the season pass? They're on thin ice. I'm on, I'm on, I'm, I'm in, but they're still on thin ice. And 
as much as I love what Forsaken has done to the game, I need to be shown more. Like I need more of of them, not just their their typical bungee thing where it's like, you know, break it and then wait till everyone is upset to fix it. But you're still playing it, right? Uh, how have things been going for you in Destiny? Um, slowly trying to get to that 520. Um, I, I just hit 520. What? I just hit that. Oh, dope. Um, I got to... I feel like I want to maybe see that raid, or I kind of want to do the old raids, because I think the raids are interesting enough mechanically uh, that I could see them and be happy uh, which is like seeing them. It's kind of like that way for a while, you know, like after new raids come out and the old raid content gets kind of worse, it's still kind of fun to go back and see what people were doing. Um, but I also want to uh, just keep raising uh, my my light, which is a boring, which is obvious a thing to say, but uh, still loving Gambit. And yeah, I, I kind of wish, uh, one thing that I, I miss about uh the way that destiny 2 was that they that they changed which is weird to say is that it used to be like you go to your to to orbit and they just they they basically like list in just big bold font like here's that you hit e button on pc and they give you a big list of like here's what you should be doing here is an activity do five of this do six of this and it's very clear what the next thing you should be doing. And they kind of don't do that anymore um, in New Destiny. And there's more stuff to do, but you got to really, you got to like, in a weird way, you have to remind yourself that when you log in of like, well, if I want to go do strikes, I should probably go to the tower first and grab a bunch of bounties and really do that. Or like, you have to kind of like almost prepare for things in a way that you used to just be, just be told like, yeah, here's a bunch of stuff you should be doing right now. And I, I, I kind of almost appreciate in it for a game that I like come home from work or want to relax to that the game, like it line, it like bullet points, all the different things I could be doing and just makes that easy. Yeah. Rather than like the new destiny of like, well, we got more things, but we do expect you to do a little bit more digging and a little bit more shuffling around to, to like make that happen. All right. Um, so yeah, I've been playing, uh, path I am I think I'm further than I've ever been at least like through the through the game um just like uh not further I guess map wise but further character progression wise um than I've have ever you been your, uh, uber lab I haven't I have not that that would I, that would be the first time I've ever done that I believe if I can no. do it I, I I so far I I have organically gotten five out of the six trials and Me too. And I I do hope to finish that. Um, the last node that for me isn't like necessarily as exciting and build making as it has been in the past. The last node for for Pathfinder um, that I'm that I'm gonna get is uh, it's still good, but it's like uh, when uh, under uh, flask effect uh, I get like. 20% of like uh different uh elemental resistances and I also get uh less chance to be uh and I, oh no I also get the ability to uh shock freeze and ignite on hits with that. So that's that's sexy but it's not as like necessarily relevant to my 
build, if that makes any sense. Like, I'm this poison yeah, I mean, archer. Mine, mine is, like, block chance. So yeah. I just get, like, enhanced blocking. But, hey, 10% chance to block, that's 10% physical damage reduction. Not bad. But so. that's the last node, right? I mean, the last node... I mean, it's the last node for a reason. It's going to be less important than the other ones, right? I guess so. But for for some for some um, uh, ascendancies, I have had this feeling of like the build won't fully come online until that last node. But this last node is just like an addition. It's a nice addition. It's good. It's going to be good to have. It's going to make me stronger. It's going to be cool to be running around and accidentally freezing, shocking, and igniting, and then also to have more elemental resistances while I'm hitting any of my uh, flasks of which I slam on because I'm a pathfinder, but um, uh, yeah, it's not like some of the other builds where it feels like that first node or two you really are chasing to like get the build online, and then that last three and four is like when now I'm when I get those though, it's not going to be just online. It's going to be like you know synergy matrix. So that concludes the first half of this podcast. There might be a second half. I guess I'd also want to say that I've been playing more Monster Hunter and and liking uh, Generations, actually. Uh, I still have my complaints, and I think I did go over them last time. I think that it's weird to go from Monster Hunter World to the older games that are, that are old, um, but... I've been having a lot of fun with uh, the charge blade and the different styles uh, with switch axe. Um, so uh, I'm not super far in, but it's been fun. I the last thing I did was the uh, Daimyo Hermitar and Tetsokabra and Yan Kaku. Oh, so I'm on the yeah, three, the hunter really rank good, three. I'm not some a, really good monsters in that game. I am not a. I don't claim to be a monster hunter. I'm not a monster hunt fanatic. Except for that one podcast that I did do exactly that in a bit, but um, I, I guess it's 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 also going to be cool to play through generations, even if I just get up to like you know the later ranks and like hunter rank G or whatever, just to see everything, you know, just to have played this There's game and said that game. I fought them yeah. all, I caught them all, yeah. with my sword. Like I said like the the palicos are cool, like all their different abilities are neat. And you should definitely try at least a few times playing as the Palicos. Yeah. Um, I'm just, I'm loving Charge Blade and Switch Axe, especially Charge Blade. Just that weapon just feels overpowered. It just does everything. It is such a nice, like, jack of all trades, master of a lot. What? Yeah. I think that in Generations, it was pretty overpowered. It it got nerfed in, according to uh, to, uh, Gaijin Hunter, um, it got nerfed. in not significant in ways into generations ultimate um okay yeah but uh still very fun and that is definitely the the thing where like if you learn like learning that uh it feels like i have the the best outline of like a plan of attack more than some other weapons would like uh other weapons are more like you know like let's say greatsword just the, one of the most basic weapons is really just like look for your openings and attack but that's like a lot of the game but with charge blade it it's so much more dynamic it's like look you're you're thinking on the fly about like putting vials into your your you're charging up this blade and you're either putting it into the the axe itself to do more damage or putting it into the shield so that the shield can can block better and then also have these like elemental discharges on the hits so you're like 
managing all these different things and doing that feels really good when you're doing it fluidly. Right on. Yeah, I mean, one of the things that uh, is not lost in the older Monster Hunter games is that the combat is still Monster Hunter. Yeah. There are some ways that it became more fluid in a world. Definitely the movement and the way that you're interacting with the environment changed a lot, especially with like the hook shot and with the scout flies, which uh, makes for a much better game. Scout flies yeah. are a huge deal. There's so uh, much that going back on is like, why did but, you think yeah. this was a good idea? Like hot and cold drinks is like, I forgot about that shit. Yo, hot drinks are in Monster Hunter World. So, oh, they are. Yep, get far enough in the game, you head to the, you get to the last, the the last uh, area of the game, and you have to do cold drinks. Oh wow, I have I I beat the the last thing I had done in World, which I'm sad that I stopped because I still loved it. Uh, was that I beat that big monster? Oh yeah, you got that's that's a uh, yeah. There's a lot more monsters after that. All right, fair enough. I should probably uh, ret- I could return to that. Yeah, if you if you can find the time with Path of Exile and Destiny, which are two and massive, Dragon Ball Fighters, massive time sinks. Dragon Ball Fighters had the release trailer for seventeen, and he is looking really cool. Yeah, I love that he has green energy. Yes, actually, that's probably the that's probably the most important takeaway uh, from the trailer. I really love. I actually like one of the things that I'm the most excited with with each character is that like they have different color energy stuff and uh, they all have like a lot of people have different color flights. So like all the super Saiyans got the yellow flight, but uh, you know, like hits got white flight and stuff like that. Uh, it's cool to see. Zamasu has like a rainbow flight. What? Have you seen the trailer for the new kill a kill game? Um, I've been watching. I had watched the trailer and a bunch of gameplay. It, it, it it seems, uh, I don't, I hadn't seen the new trailer, but uh, it seems good. Um, it's not a it's, fighting game. It's but... not that I. It's not that I want to play that game. It's that that's what I want Jump Force to look like. Yeah, like the Arxis style, like anime two yeah. D but three D, two D three D three D four D. That's what Jump. That's what Jump Force should look like. But that's a story for another day. All right. Well, give Brian, us a an outro. And if the music comes on, then it, then it truly is over. But maybe if you keep listening, you'll hear some Yellow and Yangtze and Valkyria Chronicles. Definitely not Yellow and Yangtze, because there's absolutely no way that we are recording on Thursday. True. Can't happen. But let me tell you that this has been WTDG Podcast. Uh, you can find us on Twitter, at sign WTDG Podcast. Uh, what's the other one? WTGpodcast.com. That is the website, and the iTunes is What's the Deal with Games? Rate, comment, and subscribe. Rate, comment, and subscribe. Thank you very much, Ryan Galloway and Crying for the use of your music. We use the intro and outro revive off the new album Beyond Fleet and Gales. You can find them at the Run Forever Band Camp. And, um, this just in Android 17 is also in Smash. Wow, that's uh, some low hanging fruit. I thought you would have said something good like the. Like the Tigris. And how about the, the pagodas? Rivers. How about how about Our let's make it let's make it better. Re- redo the pagodas and Yellow and Yangtze are in Smash. Thanks, Ryan. Blue tile is in Smash. Uh, here's the music. Yeah, how about and the if not, how about the blue Tetris piece? The blue the Some blue Tetris the, the a blue Tetris a blue L shaped Tetris man or woman or how, whatever. How come the line from Tetris never got into Smash? I don't know. It seems like that's low hanging fruit.
Is there a Tetris tro like assist trophy? I thought there was, but I could totally be wrong. Yeah, that seems like a thing that would exist. Thanks, Ryan. Okay, thank you, James. And bye. Nice. We just don't have it yet. An unprecedented event. And you know what is interesting is that earlier in this podcast, you said it was impossible to talk about Yellen Yangtze. And now it is. Uh, we are back. Well, behold. I know, right? Um, I can't believe this is happening. I, 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 when, we were, when we were talking about this, I was like, that ain't happening. And look at it. It did happen. It happened. It happened. It's happening. It happened then, and it happened now. Because it either happens or it doesn't happen, and it did happen. The question is, is time a flat line? And if it is, then it just happens or it doesn't happen. There's no such thing as probability. So or back is time instead some sort of Ouroboros? That what if it's like some itself? sort of pagoda? That doesn't even... Pagoda-shaped. A hexagon, a flat hexagon tile. What? Well, where were you going with your Ouroboros? I'll, I, I'll. Uh... No, forget it. Forget it. I don't even want to. I don't. I, I don't even know anymore. I mean, we're we're older, we're wiser, but I'm sicker. I don't know about you, but I got. Wait, you got sick. I got sick. I got sick. I got sick. Wow. What are you sick with? What are you feeling like? It's like a like a sore throat. Oh my god. Headache, runny nose. That's what I got. Who gave like down it to, to who? Down to the down to the dang line. I got a, I I I I'm getting the the. Well, it's kind of starting to be past an aura, you know, like when you know you're getting sick. But it's kind. I'm kind of getting past there to the point of just I am sick because I'm because the oh, aura is, is debilitating. Uh, my throat is so sore, hurts to swallow, and you know I do a lot of that. Mm. But um, uh, mm. my head hurts, and uh, yeah, I'm feeling congested. So. So that's good, though. You stay home tomorrow. We play Destiny. All good, right? That's how it I, works. I was almost like, I'm I'm really feeling bad. Normally, I would actually uh, maybe preparedly call out. Uh, but I'm, I'm also thinking, like, I put in my two weeks. Does, is that some slime ball shit? Well, or, do you, you know, or does it matter? Being yeah. like, uh, hey, uh, I'm coming in today. I'm sick. And then you just like get everyone sick is like a big middle finger. Like at the very end. Yeah. Or, you know, yeah, I'm on an ambulance and then uh, you get these these uh, these sick people sicker. So I got to say, I think it's pretty inconsiderate to go to work sick. I think it is, too. I, I don't like I, I don't know where some of that like uh, angst comes from to call out sick that I have uh, because I feel like it's a like in school i would do that a lot where it's like yeah i'm like slightly sick my like nose is running i don't give a shit i don't want to go today like what you know you're trying to prove by 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 going to school sick right we're going to work sick that you're like tougher than everybody else or that like they need me they need I'm me i'm irreplaceable i'm irreplaceable um i don't know maybe it was that thai food maybe the thai it's food better to stay home. i don't think so it was definitely one of us was probably already sick not feeling symptoms, but already contagious. And it well, just when happened. did this, when did this come on? I gotta ask you. This morning, first All thing right. this morning. Wow. Okay. So I had it midday. So I want to blame it on you because you should have you should have had it before. Um, and maybe I want to blame it on Charlene because we have to see if she's sick. And if she's not sick, then like secret secret Hitler style, we need to assassinate her. What if it was just from having a totally sick game of Yellow and Yangtze? Yeah, what if Yellow and Yangtze got us sick? We got the bugs from China. What if, whoa, okay, I don't know. 
But either way, we played a couple games of Yellow and Yangtze, and they were sick. They were amazing. I, I wish I wish that I, I I wasn't feeling so physically down right now because my spirits are lifted. I, I think that it. Uh, I, I said to you, Yellow and Yangtze is probably the uh, most fun per turn of any game I've ever played. Uh, it's very fast. Um, there weren't like the moments like the the moments of like of like someone's turn going on too long because they have to make choices or like you know the analysis paralysis kind of stuff are relatively so much smaller. Like a long turn in Yellow and Yangtze is like, it took them like a, like two minutes to puzzle this out. Whereas like in... Unless they're on the phone. Yeah, unless they're on the phone. But uh, if they're... Uh, like if it's if it's like Gaia Project or something, which I love Gaia Project, then I can imagine then those turns go longer because you're you're making some more sweeping choices. You have to worry about uh, like your resources, about turns in advance, about. Uh, but before we get into that, let's talk a little bit about man. Talking is hard, uh, but let's. It talk is a hard. About what Yellow and Yangtze is. Yeah, I feel like I've been trying to like distill it, and I think at its core, Yellow and Yangtze is a game with a board that starts out largely blank, and everyone has these five liters of different colors, black, red, green, blue, yellow, and you are, if your leader is in a connected city, because you, you, you only put down tiles that are next to cities, and that is the and you put down a tile of that color you score points um so can we make it simpler you lay it's a civilization building game you score tile you score points off of placing down tiles where different people have di- where different people all have like the same color leaders but no two people can have the same leaders in connected spaces yes because then you got so you got problems then no n- leaders don't like their same color chilling around so that's like the point of contention is that different people are trying to generate points on the board, but no two leaders of the same color can exist in the same area. That's, so there's a bit of there's some there's some control aspects to this. Yeah, um, and I think a big thing is the uh, lack of knowledge about what your opponents have. You have this screen that covers the tiles that you might have. You have six at all times. Um, and you also are earning points for the five different colors and the end of the game scoring is basically without, you know, discussing the yellow, which is a wild card. It is the, uh, best of your lowest score of those basic colors. So it it, like that therein creates a situation where like sitting on one area and reaping the benefits over and over again is like, like has diminishing returns because as you increase your your best score it's fine in the beginning but you get to a point where you have 30 black cubes and you have four blue cubes and zero red cubes so your score is zero right now like great job for you to have all those black cubes the, the cool thing about it is that everyone's score is kept secret but when you're trying to figure out how to block opponents, the thing that you really need to think about is, okay, what have they done the least of so far? You don't have to think about everything that they've done in the game. You Especially not what they've like, done the most of, right? Like where if, are their problem areas? If there's, if there's like, something that they've done the most yeah. of, then you wouldn't be interested in it. Leave them alone at that point. Yeah, because they're going to continue scoring it, and it's mean, meaningless. Yeah. 
So that's kind of cool where after some time, it's like there are certain scores that I don't care about. There are certain scores that my enemy doesn't care about, but like, what are they? You know? Except yeah. for yellow. Because one thing that is especially cool is that yellow is a wild card. So the scoring for yellow, always on the table. And there's also, so one thing that we didn't mention yet so far is that like you have these tiles, you place them on the board to score points. And if you uh, put down three of them in, in, a, in like a triangle triangular shape, pattern, yeah. then, then you put down a, a pagoda, which is essentially like a building uh, that generates points every turn. And, and there's two of each pagoda for every color except for yellow, which is the most valuable, and there's only one of them. Yeah. I, and I'm trying to, like, I don't know if this uh, explanation pops off the off the iP- iP- iPad, iPod, sorry. Um, I'm sick. Be- be- because we're maybe we're both just, you know, downtrodden right now. Um it really is like since you really only get two choices per turn since you're limited by the tiles you currently have which are a good you got a good clump of tiles so you're not necessarily feeling forced into certain things and like certain tiles have have a uh, crazy abilities like discarding the blue tiles will allow you to surgically remove a tile off the map which can create tons of chaos like uh take one city and make it into two cities remove people's leaders off the boards, do uh, destroy pagodas. Like, I think the, I think where the game really gets interesting is where you, what you said before, and that's that uh, people can't score this, can't have the same leaders in the same city. And there's two different ways that you can take back a city for your leader to score it. Um, there's a revolt, which is kind of an in-the-city fight that is largely related to how many black tiles that leader is physically like on the board touching and there are wars which are more complicated where you join two cities that can't coexist because they have uh similar they have uh the same colors in them um and then that becomes a more interesting thing and that was something that earlier in the podcast i was talking about how much it kind of popped off the page the rules for war and it did not disappoint me uh, wars are really interesting in Yellow and Yangtze. Everyone basically can vote and sway the outcome regardless of whether or not they have uh, any physical pieces or any real immediate involvement. And uh, it creates really interesting scenarios. And then after the war, it breaks up a lot of the board and causes a lot of mayhem and chaos and a lot of people get removed off the board and it just like it is a big big massive change i guess one of the things i would say right away that i think uh that you were talking about is that a lot of other tile laying games are about almost and i I talk about this too um i've said this about castles of mad king ludwig is that uh there's something satisfying at the end of the game uh regardless of your score about having built this and just the physical ask, like the, the the physical laying of tiles in correct spots to make synergies or score big points or create combos is very exciting. But yellow and, and that that that's the same for most tile laying games. But the 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 real meat of yellow and Yangtze comes from the fact that there's always tension. 
Uh, because if you're scoring, if you're putting down tiles, that might be fine for you right now. But in building up the board, you create, first of all, opportunities for people to like steal out what you've put down or destroy it. And that makes it really interesting is that this constantly shifting puzzle that from turn to turn is just this amorphous, weird map. And you and when it goes like you, you you make a turn and when it goes back around to you, the board state might be wildly different or the choices that you'd want to make are different with every move that people are doing because they're building up other cities that maybe you're not interested in originally, but then they start building it up and they you have reason to you know put your leaders there and start helping them almost build up. And I think re- the some of the real most interesting aspects of the game come out of the fact that you can have these weird emotions towards a city. You can have one big city growing that has you and another player's leaders in it and another big city growing that has you and a different player's leaders in it and they might combine and then now you create you you've created this situation where your people are like kind of going to war and you're also like not entirely sure which side you want to win well you always know what your lowest score is yeah but sometimes that like that and then that also creates interesting scenarios around the table where you might know that your weaker city can beat a larger city because someone else like another player is sitting in that city and they need to score that they want to to hold that so uh, i mean like one of the big interesting plays that i i think that is pretty explainable is that there were two large cities one with charlene in them and one with uh my blue leader and your leaders and you wanted to take over Charlene's city or at least destroy her leader because she was getting yellow points. She had a yellow pagoda there. So you wanted to destroy it, and I wouldn't have that much of a vested interest in it at the moment because I have a blue leader but no pagoda. So I'm not really scoring anything off this area. I don't really have that much of a vested interest. And what you did was you, create, you, you on the same turn, created a pagoda and a war. So... It's so suddenly uh, a, a fight that I wouldn't have had that much interest in. That maybe I would have recognized you as a more threatening player and and uh, allowed Charlene to win or, or you know sent reinforcements to her side. Suddenly, like you gave me something that created an attachment to a city that I normally wouldn't have, and then that makes it so that I wanted to have that city win, and then that city wins. It disrupts everything, and then I move into the crumples of Charlene City, and like this creates multiple like Charlene like destroys off all of our leaders in the other city, and then creates like all these alter alternate weird branching paths through this one choice. That was the best play I made, but yeah. So, but that was also like a great setup. I mean, one of the things that we haven't discussed yet also is that uh, this is a very hard game to play solitaire in and by very hard i mean like it doesn't happen like yeah near impossible because you can't just be like i'm building the perfect utopia over here and if you do want to build the perfect utopia you first have there's so many things that you have to do first where you have to be building up all of these like you have to build up black to prevent internal chaos and you have to build up red 
prevent external chaos. And once you've got that set up, then you can play the blues and the yellows and the greens. But the thing about that is placing down blacks and reds doesn't give you anything at the start. So it's like not very sexy to put down those defensive units where you could be playing greens and you could be playing yellows and you could be like comboing, chaining tons of blues together. Yeah. And you also kind of create a scenario where uh, you look like a big target. You're If you're building up a big area and then someone can just connect those cities and uh, in connecting those cities, create a big war that loses you all your leaders off the map, then you've created this like, and, and this is kind of like the crux of it is that like, in doing things that help you, you create value for other players that they might capitalize on, capitalize on on future turns. Um, and you, and also, if you had this big city, then, and you, you kind of want other people in your city. It's like a an uneasy truce where you might not like that another player has leaders in their city, but then it also does add value to them. It it adds value to that city in a way that makes them worried for that city to lose. So in case there's a fight, if you have multiple players that are in one city and one player that's in another city, then chances are the multiple players will win, regardless sometimes of the overall strength. So yeah, it's, it's good to like might, diversify. Might like, and you especially might not like if you build up a, a city and somebody else, and, and you build up pagodas, and then somebody else puts all their leaders there. Yeah. That could be unfortunate. Yeah. There's so much. Like, there, there's so much tactically to talk about i think one of the hard things with this game that i i noticed off the bat is like and and it's you were saying it's like weighted 3.8 or something on bgg um it, it it's a game where you have to understand every rule going into it because not understanding a single every rule is interacting and in play all at once it's not a game like clank where you might be able to start and it starts slow and then you can start kind of like you ease people into the beginning combat and or the beginning like deck deck building and then slowly you start to say like well when this happens this other thing happens and it wasn't necessarily super relevant before so we were allowed to start playing but now I'll tell you you know like bits and pieces of it whereas yellow yeah, and yangtze absolutely. is like very front loaded very much like you have to understand every aspect of this game to not understand that uh like two blue tiles being destroyed which is kind of a like in the the bigger picture it's like a uh kind of smaller rule to not understand that you can destroy two blue tiles to suddenly surgically strike an area destroying pagodas or leaders or something like that and how much that can affect you or other players and how important it is to for you to be aware of that ability um and that's just a small thing like you kind of really have to understand the mechanics of revolt so, so that you know how to make your uh, leaders safe. And maybe if you have a leader you're more interested in, you kind of guard them a little better. You kind of have, you have to understand the uh, like the combat and how, and what combat looks like and how a lot of red tiles are going to end up uh, being destroyed, which could lead to situations where like, you know, cities are demolishing themselves and all this. And it's kind of like, there's also, yeah, there's also this idea of like, if too much war happens, then everyone is actually going to be starved for red points. Yeah, that's an, that Which was an interesting thing that happened. But then that, that, that second game was full of interesting things. Like, the, I feel like the, the board, uh, like, through, like, it creates, like, emergent gameplay where something happens and it creates, like, weird scenarios. 
So, for example, like early in one game, uh, Charlene got a yellow pagoda, and that's terrifying because, like we said, those are wild points. So, getting a yellow pagoda means that every turn you're essentially for the end of the game getting what you have the lowest of, and you're shoring up all of your points at the same time almost. But I think that I think that Charlene built a yellow pagoda with her black leader. Yeah. And then I just put down a yellow leader, and then that yellow pagoda's mine. Yeah. And then which, she she just moved out of the area and nuked it, and I was like, oh, okay. Yeah, one of the things that, like, an- another, th- another rule that seems insignificant but is so important, and it creates, it, it, it is another rule that kind of adds to the overall uh, flow of this game, is that since black, the black leader is special in that if there's uh, any points that can't go to another leader, like you place down a, a green tile and there's no green leader, then the black just soaks it all up. And the interesting thing of that is that you can easily create situations where you've built up a city that you are scoring everything off of your black leader being there and then people just move in, which happened. Um, or, you, you know, in, in the situation you just said, where it's good to have your black leader down but it's also bad to have your black leader down and only be scoring off of that rather than your your other guys. The thing that's surprising about this game is like, despite the way that we're talking about it and like how it might seem complicated, it's like we said, it's really not. It's surprisingly sparse in rules. There's, it's a very simple game with a couple of spicy, complicated rules, but for the most part, very easy to understand. And for me... The, the thing that sold me on this game was how fast it is. Yeah. And not only is it fast, but also like it's very well paced. You never feel like time is wasted in this game. Yeah. It, it's, it is really weird how just you doing things can be, oh, this is great. I built a pagoda. Uh, my black leader is soaking green right now. So I built a green pagoda and now I'm getting green every turn. And then someone else is like, oh, that's interesting to me. And then they take it over. And then you got to maybe revolt against them or create a war or like figure out a way to get them out of there somehow. And it, it just constantly created these these like interesting situations where I'm like allying with different people or just wanting to see what the, the game's mechanics will allow for. Is that the deal with Yellow and Yangtze? I guess so. I mean, like I, I, I wanted to come into here like, you know, guns blazing for Yellow and Yangtze and I'm just feeling so sick. But I... I, I I it is more than the sum of its parts. It's more than what we sound like. It's more than just tile laying and stuff like that. I, I think that it is a very close approximation to some of the politics that happen in like Game of Thrones or TI or something like that, where just the, any given moment you like the game naturally creates weird situations where your own units are fighting against each other or you ally with this person because that, that is in the lead because you value the city that they use more than anything else in the game and stuff like that. Like you're there's constantly weird, like unnatural and uneasy alliances that create even weirder scenarios. I don't remember the last time that I played a game and instantly wanted to play it again. And even now a day later, just want to play it again. It, it, it is just fun every second. I don't know how it does it sometimes. Like, it's fun from turn one. It doesn't have a slow start. In fact, like, 
the emptiness of the board creates tension in in and of itself. And then once the board starts building up, it has its own issues and like political ramifications of like who lives in whose city and who is scoring what points and what points you need to stop people from scoring. And can you betray other people by like conjoining two cities that the other two players care more about to like cause chaos. And it's just always, it was just always fun in a way that I don't always always get. Yeah. It's always on like in a way that I don't always get that you can have slow turns, slow starts to games kind of yellow and Yankee kind of starts off already making like weird alliances and trusts and like just the politics of the board kind of bounces <laughs> off from the very second the game starts. So it's hard to like, it's hard to say anything like else that's much better than that. Like I, I, I think it's phenomenal, actually phenomenal. And I look forward to playing it. Uh, what else? From both of us, which is just not always the case. One of us usually uh, has to play the contrarian somewhere, but I don't really have much negative to say here, if anything. Yeah. Which feels weird for me, because, like, I like to be negative about games. Me me is, me is too. Like, I, I think it would be... I, I think I'm all, all, always more comfortable saying, I liked it a lot, but... There, there's a lot of games, and there, there's a lot of tabletop games that I especially feel like I liked a lot, but... And it's also especially easy to be negative about a game that you don't own. I should be more negative about this. Or, game. or when you lose two times in a row and you have as much fun as I had. Like I, I didn't necessarily have a moment that was like, I'm losing. I'm not having fun. I was always having fun. And then when the game was over, I just wanted to play it again, regardless of like how little or how much I lost. Um. So kind of from that, I do yellow and Yangtze quick with um. We played BattleCon again. We did play BattleCon again. We didn't get very far. Yeah, but it was fun. It's a good game, believe it or not. Yeah, it's hard to believe when that when I played that first game. And it has just the coolest Kickstarter ever going on. Yeah, I'm glad you're invested in it because you're already semi-invested, so it makes it easier for you. Um, so I think I, I don't know exactly what I said about BattleCon, but my main thing was like, I didn't love it, and I, I I thought it was just a bad first game. I, I wanted to give it another chance, and in the other chance, I liked it much more. Um, I, I think that game is stronger when... Like, I think the weakest points of that game are, at least from a in a beginning, until both players have, like, a... Like, a... Not even a rudimentary, like, a very adept knowledge of their character and the other character, which is when the game would shine. Um... I think the game seems really weak in the beginning when you do a lot of the, well, I don't know what they're going to play and it's a crapshoot. So I'm going to play this and hope that works. And then it's like, okay, so I moved out of your range and you moved out of my range and we both whiff. And that was the end of the turn. And it's like such a, it's such a weird anti-climax. And in the game we were playing or, or in the first game we played, uh, the characters are constantly clashing. Cause you got a character that uh, kind of tries to force clashes and gets uh does deals one damage per clash and it felt like a very it's a very like uh death by a thousand cuts like a very monotonous kind of thing to lose to because it's like well just play and hope that you know this even goes through and then it doesn't go through because it's clash and it's like okay now i gotta re-look at this and think uh what else is gonna work and then it clashes again and it's like are you kidding me okay we gotta try again and it clashes again and it's like this has been take this turn this beat 
as per the developers, is taking unnaturally long, and it is just a war of attrition. Like, you don't deal big damage, but you deal, like, three damage per turn if you constantly are clashing with me. And I'm, like, looking for big opportunities to just deal any damage. And But in that second game, like, the, the character archetypes were more defined. Um, they were more simplistic of just uh, more the comboing of movement and damage. And because of it, uh, I felt like there was a little bit better of a dance. And not just constant Yeah, whipping. absolutely. And, and I think that that's par for the course of the start of the game in the same way that, like, you might start out a like a fighting game and button mash. Yeah. Like that's, that's sort of what I equate it to. It, it, it is exactly like that. You're right. And, and that's a, that's a hard sell. I gotta be honest. Like it, it, as much as the second game of BattleCon intrigued me and that I wish we could have gone further with it. Um, I, I think one of the big sells for it is like, it is a game with in, with, with maybe some of the most infinite replayability, right? Like to even get to a point where the game is fun like really just truly fun where both characters just they know everything that's going on they can keep stock they can start having that that it can actually emulate a fighting game where you are aware of what the characters do which is actually it's it's this similar in a fighting game if you're fighting a character that you just literally don't even know what their stuff does then it's it's not enjoyable yet you you don't really know like what, how you should be playing, but then the game gets more fun when you start to realize this character never has any lows, or this character doesn't grab at all, or this character is always grabbing. So I'm gonna jump out of their block strings because they're gonna end it with grabs and stuff like that. And then yeah, the, the and, difference in a fighting game though is just that like a fighting game, like if I'm playing Dragon Ball Fighters as a new entrant, I, I don't always know what I'm doing, but it always looks cool, and that's something that you don't get from BattleCon. Yeah, right. That's the difference with like a fighting game being transmuted to the board yeah because uh, i mean my my initial kind of interaction with it is like well these two look pretty good when used in in combination and i hope it works and then just kind of a crapshoot of like okay now we reveal and a bunch of stuff happens and i have literally no idea why something would go through or not go through and and there's there's also not like a ton of player investment uh, when you're new to the game or especially new to the characters where you don't really know why or th- like you don't really have a good like internal reason for understanding why something didn't work. Yeah, I, I agree. And one of the things that actually turns me off about the battle con system is just that uh, this is from an ownership standpoint. The fact that there are the boxes are kind of all over the place. The newer systems have like, also the systems are different where some of them like the first system has like this special attack card that has like a pulse and a cancel on it. And in later systems, they have like a new meter, like a force meter, which is like way cooler, but that kid has fewer characters, uh, but it's more organized. So which box do you want to open? And that's like an issue, like a pain point that I have with the game that is thankfully going to be solved with the Kickstarter. Yeah. So I, I do feel like it is a much better game than I can possibly give it credit for right now. And I think it's an achievement at the very least. I think that it is the closest thing to uh, like getting that feeling of fighting games, of, of training someone to think a certain way and then playing that rock, paper, scissors. And 
the art is fantastic and there's a lot of other things to like. I think the the characters I've seen are interesting archetypes. I guess they're more interesting given the fact that it's a card game and a tabletop game um, because they do draw on like more fighting game archetypes, but that's fine. Like that's not a, a noteworthy thing to check against it because this do- this just doesn't exist. Yeah. Well, I mean, there are actually like quite a few other ones, right? Like I think Omi Yomi was the first one of these. Uh, I don't even know who makes Yomi, but there's also uh, Exceed, which is made by the same people. David Serlin plays or a lot differently though. What was that? David Serlin. Did he make Exceed? The Yomi guy, I think. I could be totally wrong. Oh, don't yeah, listen to me. Yeah, I'm sorry. Level ninety nine made Exceed. I am out of it. We are both out of it. We are both out of it. It's I hard. So it's hard. I it. hope that like, I I I I want to just bring it up again. Like, for for BattleCon, I truly enjoyed it. I the second time I played with with a better setup and with characters that weren't as technical or like kind of in, intentionally frustrating, and I could see the appeal and I could see how playing a couple rounds in a row and like really starting to get a sense of like those moves to the point where like you could read the enemy's cards off to them and you just knew the values of everything to the point where you really could make some interesting decisions like well I'm going to backstep because he's going to do a shot and I'm going to go low priority or high priority so that or like technically low um so that they go first and I'm going to backstep out of it and then I'm going to rush in and attack and to make a choice like that has got to feel incredible um, I appreciate- and also to, to be capable of like the way that a certain person might play a character where it's like, oh, I know that he's always going to go for like the vampiric grasp. He's always going to pair that one, pair that one with that one. And like I'm starting to, to you know, figure him out. Yeah. So I'm going to respond in this way. Yeah. Um, and and to return to the other thing, like it's redundant, but like Yellow and Yangtze is unbelievably good. I'm sorry that we're not. We're, we're both sick. It can't be said enough because I am very much hyped on Yellow and Yangtze. You want to know how sick I am? How sick are you? I'm so sick that I just bought a bunch of uh, silver in Destiny. I don't think that's that bad. I, I mean, I would chastise you oh, if, so if we weren't thing. living in this the day and age. Gun, the coolest gun in the game is a hand cannon from Gambit called Trust. It is far and away. Trust? Like, it's called Trust. What are you, are you talking about Malfiescence? Not to be confused with Truth, but there is a hand cannon in Gambit called Trust, and it is very, very cool looking. And there is a thing in Eververse, a package you can buy that comes with the sickest ornament for Trust, where it gives it like an ivory grip, and it's just oof. So what nice are you talking? Looking. I thought you were talking about Malfiescent. Malfiescence. Malfiescent. Uh, that's another Gambit hand cannon. Did you know Gambit has two hand cannons? Um, Do we talk about exotic. them adding a bunch of stuff? No, but that's a thing they did, and 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 that's kind of they more just keep doing it. They keep doing it, Ryan. That's kind of this more. Is get, this is what's getting me animated because ugh, they keep doing it. I, I'm shocked to have like started this this Destiny Forsaken season, and you went in so tepid, and like it took you a couple days to even pick it up, and now you're just a Destino brother again. Um, it, it's, Dude, I'm more of a Destino brother than you are. It's true. I'm I'm also busy and, um, well, uh, cooler and Android 17 are out. So 
I make a lot of time for Destiny at this point because oh, it's so good. Well, keep sorry, keep talking I, about I'm it. I'm sorry if I got a little loud there. No, uh, man, no, I, what did we they... need we need hype and the fact that I, I, it says something that we need that we need hype right now because we're both sick and the fact that the thing is that is doing it is Destiny is should be quite oh, telling. A, it should be quite telling. Man, uh, what did they add just this week? Just this week, they added an in-game dungeon. And I don't mean a strike. I mean, like, you get three people together, and you go to a place in the world, and you unlock a dungeon. Wow, instant style. With some of the hardest content in the game. And if you get through it, you get an exotic bow. I I think Pretty sweet. How impressive is it that usually this kind of stuff would feel... I think that usually this kind of stuff would feel very bad because it would feel like they're time gating these things. Like why? There's so much to do. But wh- why did it? Why did that come out then? Why did you know uh, Breakthrough come out when it did? Why couldn't it have come out at the same time as Forsaken? And I think that usually that feels bad. But when Forsaken was as just it's it's weird because Bungie outdid themselves they created an expansion that is so full that no one bothered to ask like well there should be more and then they just kept adding more onto it and i think that even as it stands right now the core forsaken without what bungie seems to be adding week to week would have been enough to say yeah but buy it if you have any interest in destiny like you'd be dumb not to buy it if even if you don't have interest in destiny this might this is the first time destiny's ever been good and the fact that they're doing it week to week, adding new things, it also is. It's also very healthy for a game um, to uh, spritz it up like that. So the people who are at the very top, the tippy top, are getting new things every week, new toys every week to play around with, new exotics, new events, new modes, new but, combat. But it's also cool that some of these exotics are exotic again, right? You remember in the first game where there were uh, guns like uh, Yallerhorn, like. Like Hawkmoon, which I remember eluded you for months and months. No, it eluded me the entire Destiny One game. (laughs) Was the first was maybe the first the second exotic I got. I actually remember the first exotic I got in Destiny One was Truth, and I thought it was the sickest shit. Yeah, Truth was. I mean, you know what is pretty sick? Those Truth gifts. Those Truth gifts yeah you haven't seen oh, the, yeah. the gifts of like truth when it would miss someone yeah. and then go up into the sky and then fly back down and like a minute later kill someone because of the how how it, it was a truth was very simply a rocket launcher that had the most aggressive homing that could possibly be in the game it would in fact like miss targets and then come back around if it had missed the target originally it would sometimes make insane uh, Dragon Ball Fighters style homing dashes to turn like, back I'll around. I'll be back. Yeah. I'll be back. That's what the truth rocket would say to you. It'd say, I say you, I'll be back. I really like the, uh, uh, one thing I, I, I like that you just alluded to is that um, exotics both feel very exciting again and they are uh, what they should have been all along and what they were in Destiny was a, the good ones at least, were a departure from the typical play style or the typical handling of that type of weapon archetype. They gave you a new thing or a new value to like the ranges or the way that you value combat. And 
that was the point of exotics. And in, in Destiny 2 with Forsaken, not only did they make the exotics at that level of, of like, they are fascinating and interesting and fun to play with, and then they play with the archetypes themselves, but they've also... Um, made them rarer than they've ever been in Destiny history, making more weapons almost inherently like Yallerhorn in that they're just hard to get. It's it, just to have an exotic is kind of a it's kind of a badge. And anyone who says like, "Oh, the drop rates should be higher," piss off. Why? Yeah, I mean that's why I kind of brought why this up. Is like, why do you need to have everything? Why do you got to have everything? That that's why I brought this up. Like, th- like shouldn't there be? I I don't have a problem. I don't have any problem at all with there being something like uh, you play, you know, hundreds of hours and then this thing, this exotic drops and just you don't you look around and people just aren't using it because they don't have it. And in, 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 in previous iterations of Destiny, you could easily get to the point after a couple of months where you have just everything. So if someone was was using an exotic, it wasn't because they just had it. It was they just ha- they just have everything. And they can use whatever they want, whatever is kind of in the meta at the time or whatever feels good. And with uh, with Forsaken right now, um, I think it's kind of interesting to see exotic. Sometimes it feels insane to be in Crucible and hear the sound of a gun that sounds different and like look at something and think like, what, wait, what is that? And then like inspect and it. And I'm not at a point yet where I hear like a Vex Mythoclast or, or I hear the sound of the last word. You don't but hear the Ace I of Spades? I getting there. Uh, you don't hear the Ace I of Spades? Please tell me you don't. I definitely hear that one. You definitely hear the Ace of Spades. I definitely hear that one. So there you go. And also like the Graviton Lance, even though it's a little bit less less popular. What about Sleeper? Uh, I, do, I don't hear it because by the time it goes off, I'm dead. So. What is Sleeper? Is it a linear fusion rifle? It is a exotic linear fusion rifle that is extremely powerful in Gambit because... Uh, it kills in one shot, body shot, toe shot, whatever. And more specifically, it kills you. Like in Gambit, when you invade, you can see through walls. So all you need to do is get a peek and hit them. And if you miss, it bounces off the wall and kills them anyway. So it works also really well in Gambit because Gambit has those long sight lines. Yeah. That, you know, you don't get a lot of in Crucible. I mean, I, I think that there's something to be immediately said about like, well, that's broken. And then I think there's something even more to be immediately said about that's destiny. And and like, get me that thing. I've yeah. been trying to get that. And oh, it is a pain in the ass. I, I think that that isn't that when kind of when I, I don't know if Bungie realized it. maybe in this whole mea culpa with Forsaken, they came to the realization that they they haven't necessarily talked about in, in Vidox because they just talk about going fast and the game being fun. But I think maybe the intention behind what, the way that exotics are is to give that sense again, is to like if a if a gun is overpowered then it almost is a little bit similar to a an MMO where people are just maybe at some points just doing higher damage than you and that doesn't sound fair but there's something exciting about like oh I want to get that weapon that person put in the time they put in the effort I want to get that weapon they get to have more fun I have to try a little bit harder to beat them and destiny has that again and for the most part Uh, And I know that we talked about this earlier in the podcast. For the most part, the things that you're doing to get the weapon are fun. But sometimes you just want to play Gambit. And you don't want to go and get the Sleeper Simulant. You'd rather just go play Gambit. Is that they have two new maps, right? Since the last time we were we mentioned this, they have the I I think so. They have uh, a Mars map and they have a Dreaming City map. Yeah. All right. Is that Destiny? 
Do you have anything else? Uh, that's all I got at the moment. Um, so I'm playing. I'm playing Destiny right now. So you know that's how it is. So what else? Uh, Can't what be else? Not playing Destiny. Um, because I'm trying to podcast, Mason. I'm sick well, and I'm, I'm podcasting. It's a great game. Uh, highly recommend it. I've also been meaning to check out this game that came out today, Time Spinner. Have you heard of this? I have not. It is a Metroidvania, uh, pr- published by Chucklefish, where you play as a protagonist who controls time, and it's heavily influenced. So it's Blink's by the Time, time Sweeper, basically. Heavily influenced by Symphony of the Night. If you've ever heard of that game, uh, kind of like it actually. Um, but that's good. Have you? I, I, I. You're playing. You're playing a new game. I am. Games, right? At I, least I'm playing two. a couple new games. Um, I began to play Pathfinder colon Kingmaker, which is, if you can tell from the title, it's all about one of the worst mechanics that exists in board games called Kingmaking. Um, but basically, you are you. I, I, the main way I would frame this is that this game is so aggressively, you know, D and D Pathfinder, but D and D if you're um, uninitiated. Uh, it is so aggressively that that it hampers its own experience. Like it, it, it is unwaveringly a an a, a like tabletop style RPG, um, t- down to like the most minute, bizarre things. Uh, down to like roll. They even say up front like everything rolls for checking. You go through this exhaust. You know, you know what's kind of crazy. So I played as a sorcerer in Pathfinder, right? And uh, sorcerers had this whole mechanic of like bloodlines, and you know every couple of levels you get to uh, have a spell completely learned, so that you wouldn't have to uh, like think about it before. You know you, you normally like you know sleep and then meditate on spells, and it kind of changes around what spells you have kind of stocked. But you would be able to with the bloodlines learn certain spells. This is this game is so aggressively that that when I made a sorcerer character, it took me like an hour. To, just to do this, just to not even like not character creation, not making the character look the way I wanted to like an hour of like going through bloodlines and the benefits and the negatives and going through like my uh, p- my positioning on the on the uh, alignment chart and stuff like that. And all this stuff is in the game. And like, is that fun? Um, I, I, I think that if I don't sound excited about it, it's because you really do when you get into the game, like it, it is half action RPG. You could play it like an action action RPG, but I think it would be at least in the beginning it's a little bit too much because the 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 um everything is Pathfinder and I can't say that enough. Like I have seven health. Like if I if my character gets hit, they just die. Like I just don't survive anything. And I have no mana either. So in in, in a you have a team, right? You, I mean, I mean it's not you, just like a lone sorcerer. You, you start to build up a team a little bit, um, but, but, and, and I'm, and I'm getting there, but, but like during a combat, I will like, like during like one of the first combats that we had, like I, I just like mispositioned, and then a rogue ran up to me and one shotted me, and but you deserved it, and I, and I ran out of, and like my other character ran out of mana after casting one spell. So, so I mean, th- this is. This is so much that, and it, it, it that that sounds incredible for some people, and I think if that sounds interesting to you, like this is the best and the only thing you can do that is like this. This is the best, like you know, t- it's a top-down, three uh, D 
RPG that you might uh, that might be like um, what's that game that that did this that that recently that did it very well that uh, I'm not Divinity Divinity Original Sin too yeah so like if you like Divinity or something like that or you like um, tabletop RPGs a lot then this is definitely for you um, it is like that but it is aggressively aggressively a tabletop game everything you're doing is uh, completely uh, being rolled. Uh, so you will never have consistent anything. Uh, you will do things and then nothing will happen because you rolled too low or an enemy beat you on a saving throw or something like that. Uh, and you will get hit once and die because in these games you are really supposed to realistically position characters because they can just die. So it's pretty much like that. Um, not a lot to say about it. I'm only like an hour in. This story is kind of interesting, but... Uh, but uh, it is very much probably different from the actual campaign we played, right? Um, yeah, I guess so. Uh, it, I mean, it's not similar to the thing you played, um, but I think it might have similar characters. Um, but uh, so I've been playing that. I I played a little bit of that. I've been I've been primarily playing Valkyria Chronicles for the Switch, which came out what two days ago? It came out Tuesday. Um, I I talked. I think I talked earlier, maybe last week too, about <laughs> Valkyria Chronicles. It's a um action kind of tactical game where is set in world war ii and you're basically uh dropping anime characters onto this battlefield and then you're choosing one by one basically to like make a character active move them around and then take pot shots against non-active enemies and then when your turn is over then the enemies go and then they move around and take pot shots on your characters uh, there's a lot of tactics, very interesting, building out teams uh, well and making your characters stronger uh, is pretty fascinating and pretty addictive. Um, if if anyone's played any Valkyria Chronicles or knows anything about v- Valkyria Chronicles, then this is exactly that. Uh, feels great, looks amazing on Switch, it's incredible looking. Uh, very rarely there's one mission that has uh, rain in it, and if I if it's while it's raining, I look at the uh, this river then it kind of chugs a little bit on the frame rate, but usually the frame rate is very smooth and I don't have any problems with it. Um, so there's no, re- I feel like there's, I feel like it's best played on the switch because it is a longer game and it is very tactical and it's easy to uh, like take time doing things and then just put the, the, the system to sleep and then pick it up, uh, pick up a battle midway. Um, I will say though that like more than I would have ever noticed in Valkyria Chronicles one, because I was in high school um, the characters are archetypes, and the game spends a lot of time with that. Uh, the game is kind of meandering um, between battles. The battles feel awesome, and they're very fun, and they're very tactical, and I, I love playing them. And then between them are these uh, kind of like long, long, tedious story bits uh, that don't always feel that satisfying because the characters aren't really written to be anything other than like one thing uh, in anime archetypes. Like, there's one character that is a, you know, self-assured, like, cool, roguish guy, and he's kind of a womanizer, too. Um, he, like, g- grabs a character by the ass, which is, like, actual sexual harassment, and they make a joke about it and stuff like that. So it is... That's very Japanese. It's very Japanese, and it's very anime story-wise. And if you're someone who can instantly fall in love with waifus... And you're going to like this combat because I think everyone's going to like this combat. I love the game of Valkyria Chronicles. It is very much a game of like, 
almost ima- I imagine like similar to what might people might get out of like Disgaea or Tactics, where uh, every character just has so many um, interesting things. You outfit them with weapons and guns and this and, and weapons and armor, and this changes the way that they kind of play. And then they also have their own. Uh, quirks that are positive and negative sometimes there's characters who are like conservationists they will tell you like oh i'm not going to use this item uh right now at random or characters that like get really nervous under combat or characters that do better when they're not around people so like when you take those things into consideration it feels amazing and when your plans work out really well it, it also feels amazing but um be ready for like a cutscene, and then the cutscene is over, and then you get an option to start the next cutscene, and then you do that cutscene, and then that cutscene is over, and then you do that, and then it, and you'll have like four separate cutscenes that will like give you a cutscene, load back into the menu to give you an option to go to the next cutscene instead of just flowing this, and then the cutscenes will be like a little dragging out because they're like we said, uh, they are just Japanese archetypes. They you have like. You know, you have a lot of like a, like uh, there was like a two to four minute, like yeah, like a four minute ish cutscene that revolved around this these two characters that hate each other, a guy and a girl, and they're talking about something. Then this other character grabs this other female's ass, and they get in a fight. And then while that happens, the guy and the girl who are like sort of fighting, uh, the guy is under the tank, and then he uh, rolls out from underneath the tank and looks up her skirt. And, like, that Whoa. was the purpose. Like, the purpose of this video, like, I, I mean, sure, it's to flesh out the characters or give something, you know, more to flesh them the between between missions, flesh. but, but man, you know I mean? yeah, flesh. I do know what you mean, unfortunately. It's very much like a shonen anime. All right. Um, and in addition to all this, of course, the big boss, Hog in the Room, um, Dragon Ball Fighters has a Halloween event that nobody asks so for. So does Monster Hunter World. Yeah, the Monster Hunter World one seems a little bit more significant. The Dragon Ball Fighters one is like, if you know that like meme picture of Dewey from Malcolm in the Middle, who, who that says like, I don't, I don't, I didn't expect anything, and I'm still disappointed. The Halloween update is like, kind of like why, why? Like every character in the game got a thirteenth color that is like orange and purple. Halloween colors. I think Halloween is kind of more orange and black, but whatever. Um, and then there's a lot of stamps and uh, character uh, costumes for the lobbies, the lobby characters. Um, all right. So those that kind of all is a little bit uninteresting. Where the update is, I guess, big is that it adds Cooler and Android 17 and a new map. I think the new map might be one of the biggest things because it's the first new map and probably one of my biggest complaints when the game started out was there are not a lot of characters and there are aggressively few maps. And at the very least now we have one other map and it is very, it's colored very different, looks very different. It's like this um, like space station battleground on the moon. So it's very uh, silver and green LED screens. All right. Yeah, but I, I like the characters. maps too much. In, in those games, but I... I mean, uh, Street time, Fighter does a lot of maps, actually. That's true, and, and Blaze Blue had a lot of maps. I think I think maps games. are kind of important. They're like an unsung hero of these things, uh, especially in Dragon Ball Fighters. They just have so few maps, and they're missing... Especially in Smash. Yeah, Smash has a million maps, but no one plays them. But the the, the, the shitty thing about Dragon Ball Fighters is like, dog, how, how are you going to miss the hyperbolic chime chamber? How would you miss that? I don't understand that. Or like Mr. Popo's floating island thing what how do you or or master roshi's planet 
How are you going to miss those? How are you going to miss that? Is Roshi going to be in season two or not? I hope so. Everyone wants that. Um, I am really happy with the characters so far. The The DLC characters have certainly added a ton to the game. And Cooler in particular, I was thinking I was going to be more Android 17 from his look and his trailers and stuff. But Cooler, like, he just felt right. He's just really weird and interesting. Um He's got a lot of weird things going on. He has an entire... He has a full-screen low-hitting attack. So, All right. So he's interesting. He, his combos look cool. Like he does a lot of damage. Like an M. Bison-style thing, or what do you mean? Um, no, he just... He moves his hand up in the air, and then there's a projectile that hits the all the ground. If anyone is standing on the ground and not blocking low, they get hit by it. All right. Yeah, he just stands there, and he, he just explodes the ground. And hits low. Sure. Yeah, so he's got a lot of interesting things. Like him so far. Any other games? I think that's a lot, and we're at two hours, so. All right, well, let's find something to play. Yeah. We already signed off, so that's kind of cool, but I guess we could sign off again. But it's so much work. WTDG Podcast, WTDGpodcast.com. Yeah, did I, you're What's Ryan the Galloway. deal with games? For our use of crying music, intro and outro, Revive off the new album Beyond the Fleeting Gales. You can find them in the room for cover Bandcamp. Android 17 is in uh, Smash. I told that joke earlier. Yellow, yellow Pagoda. Yeah, Yellow Pagoda is in Smash, and uh, we just don't have it yet. <laughs>